to live off the minimum wage. But what you might not know is that there is a group of Americans who aren't even entitled to it. Many American women are currently working for less than that because they have one thing in common, a disability. federal law that allows companies to pay their employees with disabilities less than a minimum wage, in some cases less than a dollar an hour, has been on the books for decades. And the Trump administration believes that this is very cool. During his confirmation hearing, Trump's labor secretary, Alexander Acosta, expressed his intention to preserve the sub-minimum wage. One state led the charge and decided to end this practice. So I went there to talk to Sarah Launderville, the executive director of the Vermont Center for Independent Living. VCIL works to promote the dignity, independence, and civil rights of Vermonters with disabilities. So what does the Center for Independent Living yeah. do exactly? We're making sure that um, individuals um, who want to work on any type of goals around independent living, that we're providing peer-to-peer -peer support with them. So somebody might come in and say, I want to find a job, and then we would connect them with resources, and then we work on systems issues. So, so if there are, are laws that we think that need to be changed around disability rights, they would work on that as well. And what are some of the myths about workers with disabilities? There's this stereotype that people with disabilities still can't work, and I think it connects so much to some minimum wage. So the Fair Labor Standards Act says that it's okay to pay people with disabilities less money if you get a what's called a 14C certificate, and then you base your wage on what percentage of disability the person has. So we're saying, you know, you're, you're half of a person, or, you know, it's as if the work that they're doing is less. Does providing more opportunities for people with disabilities and have them mix with all kinds oh of different gosh, people, yeah. um, mm -hmm. what are the benefits of, of that? We see it a lot in schools where some of the special education segregated programs started going away and young people were included in the classroom. And the people that benefit from that are not only the kids with disabilities, but more likely the teachers, the other students, because they're learning about what it's like. It becomes an awareness that's, that's much broader than we have now. Right. So Vermont is really sort of a pioneer in this mm. issue. Um, people with disabilities are twice as likely to be able to find jobs. Um, what makes Vermont so different? Mm -hmm. So we're working with vocational rehabilitation to have folks that are going to support people with disabilities who need that so that, um, you know, businesses are accessible and we're making sure that folks with disabilities have more opportunities. And what would you like to see at the federal level happen yeah. in terms of legislation? I'd love to see the ability for a 14C to go away. We're overtly discriminating against people with disabilities in employment and there's a huge amount of work to be done at the national level. Is there an extra challenge in terms of finding a job if you're yeah. with a disability? Maybe you're raising your kid and over time you've developed um, a disability, you know, getting back into that workplace is incredibly challenging. There's also such a stereotype with people who have disability that yeah. they, you know, want these benefits. People with disabilities want is yes. to be able to work. Generally, folks with certain disabilities don't move from benefits to work again. And so once you're on that program, then it increases your chances that you're not going to go back to work. The worst part about it is filling out that paperwork because we connect employment and disability benefits. And so you're saying, I can't, I can't, I can't. And you start to believe that yourself. Our governor in Vermont is talking about 
getting way more people into the workforce and he's coupling that with people with disabilities. And so I think that that's wonderful. He's a Republican. Having those cross lines is really important. So what would you say to uh, people who think that people with disabilities can't work? I guess what I would say to them is take a risk and try to meet somebody who's different than you. Have actual real conversations with people um, and just start to learn about um, folks with disabilities in a different way than maybe you have before. But Vermont is an exception. Many states still lag behind when it comes to protecting workers with disabilities. Thankfully, some women are taking matters into their own hands, literally. Meet Colette. She's an entrepreneur, has her own cookie business, and is a bona fide viral sensation. Do you want to show me your kitchen? Sure. Let's do it. So this is all of my cookie business. Wow. Can you tell me about when you applied for jobs? What happened? I was talking for a job. I was there from hour and hours and hours. Yeah. I got an email saying it was not to be new in person, but you are not a good fit. From there, I decided to open my own business. And do you have a lot of fans? Does it feel overwhelming? Oh, yes, yeah. yes, yes. Oh, big, a lot. Big time. They are nuts. They're nuts about your cookies. My cookies. What's your favorite thing about being a businesswoman? Creating jobs for yeah. people with disabilities. I know exactly what they're being through. And then also cutting places mm. and teach people with a disabilities how to do my company. And then speaking events speaking too. Speaking events. And then doing all cookies. So you want to be able to employ more people with disabilities? Yes. Ooh, does it smell good? Yeah, it's smelling. Oh my god. What, okay? This is, this is going really fast. Oh, because... They smell so good. It's cinnamon on top, right? Yes. Can I taste one of your cookies? Sure. Oh my god, I'm excited. Yeah, come on. Ooh. One, two, three. Ooh. 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 What? Oh. That is soft and crunchy at the mm. same time. So good. Oh, oh my god. Is this like every time you have one of your cookies, you're like, I can't believe I make this? Like, this yeah. is the best. All the time. Every time. Oh my god, all the time. Love mm. it. These kinds of loopholes reinforce the myth that people with disabilities are less valuable to the workforce when there's actually no data to support that. The good news is the tide of public opinion has started to turn against this practice. In addition to Vermont, states like New Hampshire and Maryland have passed laws to get rid of sub-minimum wages. And one of the biggest exploiters of the loophole, Goodwill Stores, a multi-billion dollar company, is starting to shut down the programs that took advantage of the law to pay their employees, in some cases, less than five cents an hour. Segregating people with disabilities in the workplace segregates them in society. And when we isolate people with disabilities, we all lose out. And welcome to the Weekly Review. This is Roman. Today, it's Friday, March 2nd, 2018. Thank you so much for tuning in. You're listening to Mutiny Radio. We are broadcasting here in the Mission District in San Francisco. Hopefully everyone has had an okay week. Glad to have you listening to us. We'll be joined by Sandra Johnson later on in the program talking about an upcoming event that looks really awesome and grateful to have Sandra in and talking about this. And so opened up the show with some John Coltrane and that was the previous audio clip was from Liz Blank and uh, thought it would be 
good to open up on a positive note because there's a lot of <sighs> difficult and disturbing news out there in this country and around the world. And I thought it'd be it's possible to talk about the, the good things. And as per usual with this program, even though I, I did get up early this morning, I'm still slowly caffeinating myself and waking up and getting my words together. And I appreciate putting on uh, other things to fill the airwaves in the meantime. While we get started, I'm going to give a brief plug. There's an upcoming comedy festival here. It's the third annual comedy festival at Mutiny Radio. We're encouraging folks to come out. There are comedians from around the country coming in, and it's starting. It started yesterday. It's the the first to the fifth. There are it's uh, many nights, many different comedians, and you can come to Mutiny Radio here on the corner of 21st Street in Florida. If you check out mutinyradio.fm, you'll see the full list. Uh, the fuel schedule and check out a show that you'd like to come to and please do come by and help support the station and if you are looking for or interested in having a show here at the station there are many slots available so you can also check out the our website as well and all you have to do is get trained and then there's the the rental fee for the month and you can broadcast anything you'd like and i think that's a pretty awesome thing that it's giving people the opportunity to, to speak their truth is really incredible. And there's lots of great shows here already at the station. There's music shows, comedy, talk shows, shows about cannabis, shows uh, about labor, shows about anything you can imagine. And if you have a, an idea for a show that you'd like, by all means, please do come by the station and we will get you all set up with the show. Big thank you to all the donors for the weekly review. I have grateful to keep this going we've been doing the show now since 2013 and for folks who've been listening for a while we know that here we talk about a lot of the i mean the systemic issues that have been happening since before 2016 and we're seeing maybe some folks are now waking up to how fucked up things are and how a lot of these things were in place for have been in place for for centuries and what we can do and how empowering it is when folks come together to dismantle the system and build something else, build another way of living that's more equitable, that is just, and where people are held accountable. There have been a lot of protests, which is good and, and necessary. This past, I'm losing track of my time already, on Wednesday. Yes, on Wednesday there was actually there's also was one yesterday as well. But Wednesday there was a very large protest outside the ICE headquarters here in San Francisco at 6:30 Sansom Street. If you happen to be in the neighborhood, go over and tell them how you feel and how fucked up it is that, that we have this American version of Gestapo here separating families. 150 people were arrested in the past week and it would have been more uh Libby Schaff, who's the mayor of Oakland who many folks have criticisms with and rightfully so, did give a warning to say that ice, there would be ice raids. And thankfully, with that warning, many people were protected. So it's still unjust that these some of these folks were, that all of these folks, I'm going to say, were arrested. For those of us who don't necessarily believe in borders and believe that we are on stolen land, how are you going to go ahead and accuse somebody of being illegal? It's ridiculous and very backwards. And the idea of separating families is very cruel. Also, the idea of who they label as as criminals and this idea that like half half the folks who were arrested had no criminal background. And then also for what is to determine who they say is a criminal, that could be things like parking tickets or speeding tickets that many documented folks have. So that's 
that's pretty obscene as well. And as we see the rise in uh, attacks of folks with guns, these happen to be documented people, many this, people with toxic masculinity here who are documented and they're the ones doing the killing. And those are the folks with the guns, the attack, the assault rifles, I should say. And then I think also something that's not discussed as much is also the policies that are made that harm people. So the criminalization of folks who are poor or are unhoused, the discrimination in jobs and hiring practices and in housing, so and in mass incarceration and violence committed by law enforcement. There was a story recently about a woman who was in a car. She wasn't even moving. She was in a car with her infant, and a police officer crashed into their car, killing the infant, and now this mother is being charged with homicide because the police crashed into her car. So the idea that there are funds and that there are people who are actively going out there whose job it is to actually go out there and detain people for whether or not they are documented is just obscene. And it seems to me that a lot of the folks who are causing the harm happen to be law enforcement and happen to be the folks who are telling law enforcement what to do, the higher-ups. It's up to someone to say, no, I'm not going to do that. I refuse to do that job. And it's also up to someone in a position of power to use that to help people instead of harm people. And unfortunately, the society we live in seems to be quite the opposite. So there were a lot of folks who came out on Wednesday. Uh, I've, I've heard there were about 300 folks there. People had barricaded themselves to the two. There's two like driveways or entrances and exits that vehicles can go through to the ICE headquarters. And folks had, they had there were these like, uh, looked like to me like poster tubes and folks had their arms kind of connected through those and people were sitting down on those two. Um, and there also were like these large garbage can ish things. They probably were garbage cans and they had messages written on them, like no ban, no wall, no raids. And so folks were covering, you know, the, those two entrances and exits that vehicles could go in and the, as well as to the intersections um, off of on Sansome. So, traffic was blocked off and there were a lot of great speakers. There was a lot of youth there, a lot of older folks. There are folks from pretty much every background and ethnicity one can imagine. Just this really beautiful group of people that all came together and it was wonderful. And hearing folks speak, there are many undocumented folks who were there who spoke and I have so much respect and gratitude and love for them and the folks who are able to do that in the face of adversity and maybe that sounds like a cliche, but just the fact that these folks are able to go out there and speak and to tell their truth is just remarkable. And if, if these folks can do it, then my question is, I mean, every time I don't want to say every time I'm at a protest, but quite often <laughs> there, there've been some protests that where I've attended where I'm like, wow, there's a lot. I remember for the anti, the, the second, Probably, it's probably actually more than that, but the the war in Iraq, one of the wars in the 2003, when I was in, happened to be in New York at the time, and the streets were flooded. I mean, it was just wall to wall with people, and there was a lot of folks there. And then there's been other, there's been many other demonstrations, and constantly, it's I'm wondering where is everyone, and recognize not everyone has the opportunity to go, not everyone has the ability to go. For those who do have the ability to go, who can 
who have the option to call in sick from work even for a few hours to take that time to risk something. I'm wondering why aren't there more people there? And while I was grateful that there were 300 people at ICE at the ICE headquarters, I wonder what it would be like if there were thousands there every day, not just that one day, but the entire time to really close down that building to say no, we will not we will not have this because the majority of us do not want what's happening. And what will it take for more folks to to come through and and support and also just to recognize that the state is after granted the state is going after marginalized folks. They're going after all of us, though, in, in various degrees, and they want to keep us afraid of each other, and they want to keep us fighting with one another. And if there's a way we can really support one another and recognize that we are all in this together, then we'll be unstoppable. If people only show up when it's something that affects them, though, that's a problem. Or if they sit back saying, oh, nothing's affecting me just yet, or if they believe some of the misinformation that's being spread, then that's a problem. So I really want to encourage folks, and I recognize people who listen to the show probably are the folks who do go out if you're able and or spread the word. And I know there's diversity of tactics in many ways. Of course, you don't have to be there in person. There's a lot of ways you can share the information. You can donate if you have the capital. You can um, support folks who do go out. There are so many ways. Buy food for folks who are out there. Buy, even some things that are not necessarily re related to demonstrations, simply to if you want to work in policy, that's one way. If you want to work by helping folks who are unhoused, that's another way. Share your resources. There are so many different ways that folks can be effective and to create the world that we want to live in. So just encouraging and also just sending a lot of love out there for the folks, because I know there's that burnout for the folks who are constantly showing up for people, just showing a lot of, I want to offer compassion and love and affection and just so much for generations and generations of people who are constantly and have constantly come through to really help one another and to create that world. Because it is crumbling. The capitalist empire, it's crumbling. And what are we going to have in its place? When these prisons, when these prisons disappear, what else are we going to have? Are we going to have ways for folks to be rehabilitated, folks to help heal each other? I think a lot of us would like that instead of this idea of punishing people and punishing the wrong people. Things do seem backwards. I comment on that a lot. Things really do seem backwards. And how can we create together? How can we create the world that is just and fair for everyone what does that look like and also recognizing you know one can talk the talk i can post articles i can express this as my viewpoint however there's also the interpersonal relationships how am i in my daily life how am i treating people around me how am i treating people i don't know people i do know how can we be more equitable in our and on one-on-one -on -one relationships for folks who work in offices for instance or work on the job how are we coordinating with our coworkers, with our classmates, with our families? What are we doing to really be the world that we want to be in? That was uplifting. I feel a little bit better about getting that out there. Oh, so we're going to take a little... I don't know why I'm saying so a lot. There's always words. Sometimes I listen back. I oftentimes try to listen to the show if I can tolerate my own voice for a little bit and work on certain things like leaving out some of the words that are unnecessary and today just seems to be the that i'm saying the word so a lot so there have been more shootings i mean this is the country i've mentioned before here where as a country that's 
it's if if folks aren't really willing to tackle the military complex here and the history of this of what's happened in this nation and the military's role abroad as well then it shouldn't come as a surprise that folks are also harming others in this country it should not come as a surprise at all if vast amount of our budget is going to the military and what is the military doing if we're going to purchase jets and weapons and tanks and all of these items i don't understand how anyone can be surprised that that trickles down and encourages everyone to be more violent or to somehow assume that this behavior is acceptable when it's really not so we're going to take a bit of a music break i am going to Look for a couple articles to read, and then we'll be joined by our guest later on in the program. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll be back in a little bit.
All right. And welcome back to the weekly review. I'm joined by Sandra Johnson from All of Us or None. Sandra, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Yes, yes. So there's an upcoming event um, that we can discuss. I'm just going to get myself a little bit settled here. Okay. Yeah. I'd like to start by just, you know, just telling the people out there what uh, All of Us or None is. Yes. First of all, my name is Sandra, so how is everybody? And I'm a proud member of All of Us and None, and I'm an organizer for All of Us and None. So All of Us and None is a grassroots civil and human rights organization that fights for the rights of formerly and current, currently incarcerated people and their families. Mm -hmm. Some people don't know what a grassroots grassroot means. So for us, grassroots means that we are on the ground with the problem, the ideas, and the solutions. So we are a project. We are a project of Legal Services for Prisoners with Children, which is a nonprofit organization that sponsors that sponsors and advocate for um, legislate legislation that fights against discrimination that fights discrimination against formerly and currently incarcerated people. Mm -hmm. We are fighting against discrimination discrimination for people that face everyday barriers that comes because we have because they have a criminal history the goal of all of us and none is to strengthen the voice of people most impacted mm -hmm. by the mass incarceration or the prison industrial complex that's what we do through our grassroots organizing we build a powerful political movement to win the full restora restoration of our human and civil rights. We have had some campaigns such as Ban the Box. And Ban the Box, it was passed this year in October. I mean, it was signed by the governor this year in October, last year in October, and it became in, in, in effect in January 1st. And Ban the Box, well, they call it Fair Chance now, but Ban the Box, uh, my organization, Dorsey Nunn, have been working on it for like 14 years. And wow. It's just, yes, 14 years we've been working on it to wow. um, get a fair chance. Yeah. Um, fair, um, um, a fair chance, ban the box. Um, it calls to remove the, the question or the checkbox, have you been convicted of a felony from applications from housing, mm -hmm. employment, public benefits, insurance, loans, and other services. A lot of people don't know that that box was on a quite a few things. Yeah. And for me, when I came out, um, one of the huge, there's two things that a person, because I am formerly incarcerated, mm -hmm. I think I said that, there's two things that a person needs, and that's housing and a job. Yeah. And when you, um, when you uh, go and spend your do your time after you do your time and spend your do your uh, pay your restitution, you you I I have to speak for me. I thought that it, everything was going to be okay, and there was a lot of barriers out there for me. Yeah. I mean, I'm telling you a lot. So it was kind of a rude awakening for me. So that's one of the um, one of the uh, campaigns. Um, that um, we work on is ban the box a fair chance because a, a past criminal history can uh, have a lifelong ban of, of, of numerous things. Another campaign that we uh, worked on um, in the past was voting rights for all. 
when we uh, do uh, voting educational campaigns that inform incarcerated people and people in jail of their voting rights. So, you know, a lot of people don't, um, I, I, well, I'm not going to comment on, I didn't know that, that I had the right to vote. You know, mm -hmm. I didn't know that I had the right to vote until I, you know, got involved with all of us or none. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I, and I learned, I got educated by a lot of, a lot of things that uh, I just didn't know because by being a, a formerly incarcerated person or having a conviction history, we, uh, I, I, I tend to think that I was a second class citizen. Mm. And however, I'm not a second class citizen. Yeah. You know, uh, I, we believe that once you do your um, time and, and finish, that you're rehabilitated and um, that's what they have taught me that I am a rehabilitated person yeah so um, another one that we worked on was gang injunction and that was a project all of us none worked on with other community organized organizations to modify um, and to stop any new injunctions in Oakland um, they they were trying to uh, put this gang injunctions on the youth and um, and I believe I'm talking off out the top of my head from the little bit that I remember about it was um, that they were trying to uh, say that if you were in a that you there was that you, there was a curfew if if they thought you were affiliated with a gang member so oh. that meant that if you like if you had a brother or a friend or a cousin mm -hmm. that they were affiliated they were calling you a gang member. Oh. Oh, we do, we do quite a bit. We worked on the, um, we use, we did town halls for, of uh, and, and informational town halls for families of lifers. Um, we, uh, we also are part of a statewide coalition that opposes the, um, shoe is a uh, security housing units in California. Mm -hmm. Um, and I know of, uh, some people don't know this, but people are, that are incarcerated spend uh, indefinite time in solitary confinement. Yeah. You know, and um, I met someone that has spent a lot, a lot of years in solitary confinement. Uh, this, this organization, this, this issue of mass incarceration impacts me a lot because, um, affects me a lot because I, I have a brother that's been down for, uh, he's going on his 37th year. <sighs> So uh, this is something that um, is dear to me, and I will continue to fight for his freedom and everybody else's freedom because yeah. I don't believe that uh, prison is the answer to our problems out here. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Uh, not. They 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 spend so much money on uh, building prisons and locking people up, and so the prisons has become like a mental institution, also. You know because. Yeah. Uh, they've cut so many fundings away from um, the resources that we do need that they're really just using prison as an answer. Yeah. To everything. Yeah. It's you know. it's so disturbing how yeah, it is. It is. The yeah, just militarization is the answer for so many things when it should be actually just to help people. Absolutely, absolutely. I think we've gotten away from uh, actually. Uh, uh, Helping people find resources. Mm -hmm. um, the first thing that um, that I I believe that society um, does is 
once you get an, I mean, something that a normal um, a teenager, you know, and uh, I, you know, I didn't know about this prison to uh, the school to prison pipeline mm -hmm. until I started getting involved and being taught from my organization. And uh, now I kind of, I really see it now. Uh, I'm going to use an example. One of my uh, really good friends' daughter got into a fight at school, mm -hmm. and she was 16 years old. And and when I was young and and got into a fight at school, it was okay. You you go to the office, you get suspended maybe a day, mm -hmm. and then uh, two two or three days later, you and the person that you're fighting with is back friends. Yeah. Today, um, uh, well, I use this as an example. My friend's daughter got in a fight, and she got a call. Her daughter was already in juvenile hall, and I mean, it just snowballed into a huge ordeal where she had to go to court, and they took her from Ugh. the house, and now she's got an ankle bracelet on, and uh, what they were trying to do is give her a strike. I mean, this is a child that was has a dream to be an engineer. Yeah. You know, she wanted to be an engineer. Yeah. And she made a bad choice and got into a, a little kerfuffle at school and she ends up in juvenile hall with an ankle monitor on for six months. And that is the start of uh, this prison, this, this, the school to prison pipeline. Yeah. Because they're criminalizing kids right there in school. Yeah. So, that is, um, it's amazing some of the stuff that I'm learning just being a part of yeah. this organization, which I love. And um, one of another campaign that a lot of people don't know that we do, we do a, uh, we do a um, community give back. Mm -hmm. And each December, all of us are none uh, members in the Bay Area. We organize a um a bike giveaway and we present brand new bikes helmets and stuff oh. toys to children and of parents that who is locked who are locked up in the uh, pr california prison system mm -hmm. and um it, we give these but it's, it's such a fun event um we give these bikes to we um we get bikes donated mm -hmm. and some some people buy bikes and donate them to us and the only requirement for the child is for them to have an incarcerated parent because mm -hmm. you know a lot of kids are taken care of by their caregivers uh grandparents yeah. and um you know um aunties and uncles and and they come from uh, and and sometimes they can't provide a toy yeah or or something so my organization um give the bikes um get the applications we do this big thing it takes a couple of weeks to put together and then um, the bikes are given to the children from their parent, from mm -hmm. their car, from the one that's uh, incarcerated. Mm. We we don't give it in the name of us. We yeah. give it to the kids from their parent, and it's 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 really cool to watch them. Um, you know, get fitted for a brand new helmet. All these bikes are brand new, and um, then they write letters to their parents, and we take pictures. We make a big mm. deal out of it. It's a whole day. It's from nine to five, and uh, we feed them and uh, face pain, and you know it's really a big ordeal. We have all kind of little raffles for them, and so that's another one of our campaigns. Wow. But, okay, breathe. <laughs> but what I'm here today uh, um, to 
to also let um, let you know um, this year I am the uh, project manager for a event that we do every spring LSPC legal services for prisons with children and all of us all of us and or none mm -hmm. organize a large-scale statewide advocacy day in Sacramento and this day is um, we bring formerly incarcerated people and their family members and many of our allies in mm -hmm. the community our allies our community leaders um, gather to, um, su to show support for pending legislate legislation that impacts people by the incarcerate by incarceration and assert ourselves as leaders experts and contributing members of our community we are at we ask um, we are, I, I am sending out an invitation to anybody that has been impacted or has a family member to come join us. It's April 29th and 30th, and that's a Sunday and a Monday. Mm -hmm. And Sunday, we uh, this is a free event for mm -hmm. people that's impacted. Mm -hmm. However, we invite our allies to that uh, um, is working the social justice uh, field too and on Sunday we educate and train we do an educational and training workshop uh, on our sponsored bills on the bills that we push that we picked to push this year in, in Sacramento and uh, on Monday we do an action team we visit legislators office people talk and uh, you know people that's impacted talk to these legislators and assembly people, and they and and they and they tell their stories mm -hmm. of how mm. some of these bills impact their life. Yeah, you know, and what's important to them. What's yeah, life. Yeah, storytelling is so important. Right, right. So, um, I, right, storytelling is very important because uh, last year I testified for the fair chance, mm -hmm. quote, ban the box, mm -hmm. and um, because I I was I was a victim of being um because of my criminal history so um, it, it, it truly traumatized me mm -hmm. you know I had gotten a job and was working after I was released and doing everything right yeah and, um, and six years later I get fired because of my criminal background Ugh. so it was very traumatizing so um, uh, band the box was really really important to me yeah because I always I always thought that if I wasn't strong enough to keep going, that could have, I could have, like, here I am trying to do the right thing, trying to stay on a straight and narrow, mm -hmm. and it didn't matter because of my past, and right. I am not my past. Yeah. You know? I, I do not like to be held hostage to yeah. my past. I th so. Yeah, I think a lot of that goes back to choice, and when you are talking before about your friend's child who was, like, had you know, you said made a bad choice. And I think a lot of the things is that not everyone has the same choices. Absolutely. And also in terms, of, I mean, I think also in terms of like self-defense, like I don't, I wasn't there, so I don't know what happened. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes folks do have to, you know, speak up for themselves or do things in for, to protect themselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so the idea, I, I hope more folks recognize that not everyone has the same choices out there and people might make different choices. It's, it's, yeah, just. It's a, it, I, 
I say it's a bad choice. It's a bad choice. But I also feel that there's alternatives mm -hmm. to jail and prison. And uh, take, for instance, um, drug addiction. Mm -hmm. They've criminalized drug addiction. They've mm -hmm. criminalized mental illness. Mm -hmm. They've criminalized everything. It's just like they're using prison for just the answer to everything. Yeah. And that's why... And, 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 and and that industry is huge. Yeah. And it's 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 no rehabilitation. I could tell you from experience there's mm -hmm. no rehabilitation. Mm -hmm. They are warehousing mm -hmm. and using us as cheap slave labor mm -hmm. in there. Because it's a business now. Yeah. It's a money making business now. Yeah. So So I just, like I said, I want to invite anybody that's been impacted or has a family member that's been impacted by the prison industrial complex to join us in Sacramento on April 29th and 30th. And you can RSVP at Q4D2018. So that's Q, the number 4D2018 dot eventbrite.com or you can contact me and it's a real simple it's really really simple mm -hmm. to um to do and the reason i need everybody to rsvp is because this is a free event mm -hmm. and we're providing transportation yeah. and um and once you go on the um web and once you go on this um, website and or Eventbrite to mm -hmm. register your you know your answer questions and your submit, so there is a and I also have to speak to uh, the other part of the uh, audience that we um, we are a nonprofit organization, mm -hmm. so there is a uh, we accept no government or state funding. Mm -hmm. So we are hoping to receive donations from the community. However, for people that's impacted, this is a free event. So there's mm -hmm. two little, um, there's a free and a donation. So you're welcome to donate. If you cannot join us, mm -hmm. of course, you're welcome to donate. And um, But for the people that uh, would like to attend and participate, it's free, That the people that are impacted. So... Um, or else you can call me. My name is Sandra. And it is 415-625-7059. Or you can email me at sandraj at prisonerswithchildren.org. So, Wonderful. last I want to invite people that has been impacted by the system to know that we are looking build a base membership of 100,000 people mm. and I invite you to join our organization by going to www.allofusanon.org mm -hmm. and there's an online membership form to fill out and submit. It's that easy. That's great. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's a lot of uh, great information and yeah, it's, I mean, the system is so, like, it's no accident things are the way they are. Absolutely. So, no, it was, it was, it was, um, it was designed like this. Mm -hmm. It was designed to, um, to impact people of color. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and then this administration, I mean, I'm telling you, um, they are, they are just, they are raking in 
people that take the immigration immigrants. They mm -hmm. are just raking them in mm -hmm. um, for no reason. And and I never really paid any attention to that until just now. Yeah. Because I have pe people that I care about being yeah. impacted, and, and I mean they're being, you know, for no reason detained. Yeah. Like I, I can't even imagine that. I go out to the Westfield detention um, center in Richmond. Okay. And um and I uh, once a month on a Sunday mm -hmm. we go out there and we rally and and let people know that this is happening. Yeah, you know, so uh, my organization and I'm that I'm that person from my organization. We support a lot of of um, different um, issues, mm -hmm. and that is one of them that I go out and I support. Yeah, I just just told me I would like to shut down the prison. Yep, same. Because um, they don't they don't there's no rehabilitation. They're traumatic. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they police themselves in there. I really, uh, I really um, think, I really, like, trip out, I have to say trip out of, of the people that they employ yeah. to work in those prisons. Yeah. You know, in those, uh, those, those institutions that have this brotherhood and they do whatever they want to do to people and mm -hmm. it's just I, I'm, I'm, I'm amazed that uh, that happens yeah but I, I've seen it happen yeah I've seen it happen you know and um, and there's really to be if, if, if people need to think about if someone in their family that they love with the prison you would not want an ex military or police or you know, you would want a social worker. You would right. want somebody right. with compassion and yes. sensitivity to go in there and help right. Right. their loved ones, not um, go in there and traumatize them further. Absolutely. So, yeah. <sighs> Absolutely. Yeah. <sighs> okay. Oh. Thank you so much for being here, Sandra. Thank um, you for having me. And for all the, the work that you're doing. It's... Yeah, it's... <sighs> yeah, right now, um, we have a really, really good team. Um, um, we also have meetings every third Thursday mm -hmm. of the month in Oakland. Okay. We are about to move, into, we are about to move over in Oakland. Okay. Um, and um, we're going to be doing great things. We're going to be expanding and, and um, you know, um, we work with other organizations to uh, bring people out because we... We want to stop the recidivism. Mm -hmm. Oh, I said it right. Uh, because I think that um, all the times when I'm thinking about um, all of a sudden that I remember when I was young and they said it takes a village to raise a child. Mm -hmm. Well, it takes a village to help someone that, to come back into the community and stay yes. out here too. So that's, the, that's why I do service and that's what I yeah. love to do. Yeah. Uh beautiful oh well thank you so much for sharing that so we've, we've posted online the the flyer that you shared so folks can participate that way and get involved and if there's any other ways that you'd like to share right now for folks to participate um feel free well um i would love to take five thousand people up to sacramento mm -hmm. however that's a big number um you can donate um 
um, you don't if you can't uh, on our on that website if on that Eventbrite if you cannot um, attend you could donate. We have a, where we um, where it we you can also uh, support by um, sponsoring a person. It's mm -hmm. eighty five dollars that will cover the transportation, the lodging, and the food. Mm -hmm. Or if you want to, you can provide twenty five hundred for a bus. Because we're taking busloads of yeah. people up there, so um, that's uh, you can show solidarity that way too. Um, I just invite you to look up our website and see and read about us and see some of the stuff that we are involved in. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I can promise you, in two twenty eighteen, we are going to be doing many, many, many more important um, campaigns to help the community. Oh, wonderful. Well, thank you so much for being here. Okay. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. All right. Well, we're going to take a bit of a, a music break, and then we'll be back with the show in a little bit. So stay tuned.
And thank you so much to Sandra Johnson for being here. Lots of inspiring words and information. And hopefully folks are able to take a lot of this to heart. And if you're able to donate to the organization and to the upcoming event, please do. And also spread the word. I know there's a lot of organizations out there that are for prison abolition and appreciating all the work that folks are doing. So we're going to take a little bit more of a music break. I'm going to find a few news stories to share with you all, and then we'll be back in a bit. And continuing on with the theme is John Coltrane. And I appreciate there was uh, some music playing beforehand as I was getting into the studio this morning. And I was like, yeah, that sounds just about right for, for my mood today. And so sharing some good music. And this is from the My Favorite Things album. Welcome back. I'm going to keep a little bit of the music on in the background here. Coming up some an upcoming event. Tuesday, March 6th, there is Ice Out of Sacramento press conference. And it's a public event, and it's hosted by the Sacramento Immigration Coalition. Again, this is Tuesday, March 6th from 5.30 p.m. to 6.30 p.m. And this is at 711 G Street in Sacramento. There's a Facebook invite if you'd like more information about that as well. 
And the details are, join a group of community allies, labor, and concerned community as we ask for ICE to be out of Sacramento. We are calling for an end to the sheriff's contract with ICE and for dignity to our undocumented community. I'm going to share this event right now on the Weekly Review webpage. It's through Facebook for the time being until Facebook crumbles and there's another form or another platform, and I'm sure there are out there. That's what we're using in the meantime. I'm personally not a big tech person, so we use what we what is available to us at the moment. So if you go to facebook.com forward slash weekly rev, you'll find articles and events and a lot of things that I share on this program. Please do quote unquote like us on Facebook so you can follow and hear about lots of things that are happening. So I've now just posted that event on the webpage and you can check it out there. Next up, we have a report from Chicago. We do some local news. We do some national news, international news here as well, talking about things that are happening around the world. The next couple of stories are other parts of, as uh, some folks call it, the United Snakes of America. This comes out of Chicago. On Thursday, March 1st, dozens of Rogers Park residents gathered for a march in support of hashtag no cop academy and to shame 49th Ward uh, 49th word uh, excuse me 49th word aide Joe Moore for his unequivocal support of the mayor's plan to build a 95 million dollar cop academy that sounds terrible I don't even want a 95 million dollar remake of police academy I don't want a fictionalized one I don't want a real one we don't need any more fucking cop academies at all that may be the first time I swore on this program today of course we don't need that. That's a terrible waste of resources. Uh, additionally, uh, that was my own perspective, <laughs> adding to the the comment which was shared. Uh, additionally, Joe Moore has a history of defunding much-needed community resources, such as the mental health clinics and schools, while supporting greedy developers who seek to displace poor families for a profit. He has faithfully rubber-stamped Rahm Emanuel's wishes while ignoring the needs of his own constituents and community, as well as dismissing the wishes of black youth across the city who have been organizing to stop the construction of the Cop Academy. For more information, folks can visit nocopacademy.com. Again, that's nocopacademy.com. Hashtag no more Joe Moore. And there are a lot of photos included in this as well. Uh, over 80 photos of the protest and you can check that also out on facebook.com forward slash weekly rev next up i'm reading an article there are teachers on strike all through throughout west virginia and there's a story an article on it's going down i'm going to read here wildcat roars in west virginia teachers to stay out on strike and this came out on march 1st 2018 the cover photo are many teachers with their signs and they are in a group and they are on strike. Thousands of teachers, bus drivers, and other school employees across West Virginia defied union and government orders for a quote-unquote cooling off period and returned to the state capitol today as strikes and protests continued. Moreover, it appears that many school sites will remain on strike tomorrow as the strike grows more and more into the hands of the workers themselves. At the West Virginia Capitol, the mood remained defiant. Thousands of teachers descended on the state capitol Wednesday, a day designated by the unions as a quote-unquote cooling-off period, chanting, We got sold out. It's not over. 
where is the union, and we're not leaving. Signs carried by teachers included, I just want a chicken on let's make a deal, and cool down day is heating us up. Other chants laid the blame squarely on union leadership. Continuing chants of a freeze is not a fix from previous strike days alongside new chants of we got sold out. Crowds of teachers and other public school workers returned to the state capitol Wednesday saying they were not satisfied with Tuesday's proposal. The article includes a few tweets here, including the at WV55United Twitter feed. (laughs) <laughs> the, the group that's tweeting under that representing the teachers on tuesday union leaders democrats and union excuse me union leaders democrats and government officials attempted to present an agreement to the rank and file that would involve only a five percent pay increase and a freeze on a health care program this news was quickly met with scorn and seen rightfully so as a sellout deal by union bureaucrats in an article publishing on published, I should say, on It's Going Down, striking teachers in the IWW wrote on the situation, while leadership has touted this agreement as a victory for educators across the state who have been on strike since Thursday, February 22nd, workers across the state ultimately reject leadership's compromise. An overwhelming number of public employees on the West Virginia Public Employees United page have voted on a poll in opposition to the current deal. At last count, over 1,000 voters rejected the deal outright. Over 400 said the deal was a start, but ultimately rejected it, and only 21 said they accepted the deal as is. Workers in this state have shown the power of rank-and-file control over their county's actions, while many brave counties engaged in direct action prior prior to union leaderships calling for a statewide walkout. The workers of this state will reject and continue to reject any and all compromise with this reactionary legislature. Speaking to the local press, one worker stated, The House and Senate feel like they can starve us out, and we feel like our union leadership caved to that, he said. Culver said he's a member of Cables, Cables, branch of the West Virginia Education Association, but he wasn't asked or told about the agreement before it was announced. In response to the continued protests and strikes, schools across the state stated on Wednesday that they would remain closed and currently it appears that the strike will continue into tomorrow at the very least. According to Jake Jarvis of the West Virginia State Journal on Twitter, schools in all of West Virginia's 55 counties will be closed again Thursday despite calls from union leaders for teachers to return to work. Dave Jamison at the Huffington Post wrote, striking teachers continue to fill in the halls of the state capitol in Charleston on Wednesday, despite the day being billed as a cooling off period before schools would reopen on Thursday. Many of them demanded that the unions and legislatures, legislators get back to the bargaining table to improve a deal they deemed unsatisfactory. The arrangement justice rolled out would give teachers and other school personnel a 5% raise and workers employed by the state a 3% raise, although it marked progress from a meager wage increase from the meager wage from the meager from the meager wage increases earlier proposed by Justice, the deal did not placate strikers bigger concerns over the state employee health care program. And then they share some tweets from teachers and the article goes on a little bit more. You kind of get the picture. You can find this article in full at itsgoingdown.org as well as other news articles and commentary from an anarchist perspective 
taking a bit of a music break. First up, though, I'll just share a headline. I won't read the article because I think a lot of us know what the head what the article is going to be about. And oftentimes on this show, I guess the coffee is kicking in because I'm talking very quickly. There are studies that are done that prove what we already knew. And one is studies show that Uber, Lyft, Uber and Lyft make cities traffic congestion worse. A lot of us know this already. And here in San Francisco, we are the headquarters of Uber and Lyft. And we've definitely seen that for sure. Another good post from uh, D.D. Delgado, who I recommend folks should follow, and that's D-I-D-I, last name is D-E-L-G-A-D-O, follow D.D. on Facebook. Um, Don't block racists, misogynists in your family. Challenge their behavior so much they block you. (sighs) And another story here before we go to a break. It's from the Daily Mail, though. So I might look for a different source about this. So we're going to take a break. I'm going to look for a different source on this story. Mystery, mystery. And we'll be back in a little bit.
Alright, and welcome back to the Weekly Review. The next article comes from Reuters, which is it's a more moderate, um, although perhaps more reliable in some ways than other news. And recognizing that when we share news articles here, one has to be cautious of where the source is, the bias, because everyone, there's a bias everywhere. So just being cognizant of that. So this comes from Reuters, and this came out on February 27th, 2018, written by Wendell Rolf. Vote in South Africa's parliament moves land reform closer. This is from Cape Town. South Africa took a step on Tuesday to hasten the transfer of land from white to black owners when parliament backed a motion seeking to change the constitution to allow land expropriation without compensation. The ruling African National Congress has long promised reforms to redress racial disparities in land ownership, and the subject remains highly emotive more than two decades after the end of apartheid. Whites still own most of South Africa's land following centuries of brutal colonial dispossession. Tuesday's motion was brought by the Radical Left Economic Freedom Fighters, EFF, party, but was supported by the ANC, which controls almost two-thirds of the parliament compared with EFF's 6%. South African President Cyril Ramaphosa said that after his inauguration two weeks ago that he would speed up the transfer of land to black people, although he stressed that food production and security must be preserved. Launching a debate... On the motion in Parliament, EFF leader Julius Malema said it was time for justice on the land issue. We must ensure that we restore the dignity of our people without compensating the criminals who stole our land, he said. The motion was passed by 241 votes in favor versus 83 votes against. Parliament then instructed a committee to review the Constitution and report back on it by August 30th. It was not clear when any change to Section 25 of the Constitution to allow expropriation of land without compensation would take place. Together, the ANC, EFF, and other small opposition parties could muster the two-thirds majority needed for a constitutional change. The ANC supported the motion with some amendments. Its Deputy Chief Whip, uh, Doris Delacudi, said the party recognizes that the current policy instruments, including the willing buyer Willing seller policy and other provisions of Section 25 of the Constitution may be hindering effective land reform. The official opposition, Democratic Alliance Party, DA, opposed the motion, arguing that changes to Section 25 will undermine property rights and scare off potential investors. The DA's Vandika Mabamba told Parliament that expropriation without compensation was a way to divert attention from the failure by successive ANC-led governments to get to grips with the issue. Corruption and lack of farmer training and capacity remain obstacles to land redistribution. It is shocking that the current rate it, that at the current rate, it will take 35 years to finalize land restitution claims lodged before 1998, said Mabamba, who is... Deputy Shadow, Minister for Rural Development and Land Reform. In his first State of the Nation address two weeks ago, Ramaphosa made a a direct appeal to poorer black voters, the core of the ANC's electoral support base, saying he would aim to speed up the transfer of land to black people as a general election looms in 2019. Ramaphosa said earlier on Tuesday he would pursue expropriation of land without compensation, but reiterated that this would be done in a way that increases agricultural production and improves food security. 
Among the main criticisms leveled at government's land reform policy over the years has been that many farms transferred to emerging black farmers lay fallow and unproductive. Land expropriations would trigger legal challenges, said Ralph Mathega, an independent political analyst. This thing is going to court, make no mistake. The motion today means land has been elevated even higher as a political issue to code red from code amber, he said. So again, you can find that article on Reuters. I've seen a few other articles around on different sites too. And as per usual, I guess I guess that there are like a lot of right-wing sites out there. So to be wary of that. And there, are, I'm not even going to comment on what some folks in this country are saying about this. <laughs> I'm just not going to lend the time or our energy to, to hear that. So that's that's being done over in South Africa, and I wonder what things would look like here in the States, if or the, the United Snakes, if we were to, to do that here. Next up, a depressing article. There's a lot of depressing articles. Oh, it's from Newsweek. Do we really want Newsweek? Do we? Maybe I should find another source for this. It's, it's about, I'll summarize it just with the headline itself. Uh, Kansas's GOP vote against transgender people, part of, I'm not even going to read it because it's, it's so dis- disgusting. And I think the GOP caused people a lot more harm than trans folks do. Um, as far as I know, trans folks aren't trying to pass laws against people's bodies. We're not out there harming people. We're not out there sending people to prison. We're not trying to get rid of people's health insurance. So fuck the Kansas GOP and the folks out there with their transphobic policies. That's my analysis of the article. And coming up, how about a a, a walk through history? <laughs> it's I think it's really important also just to recognize things that we're not. There's a lot of things that are not being taught in schools, especially now. Oh, there's a lot of textbooks. I remember reading a story on this show, on this very show, years ago, about how textbooks, particularly in Texas, were leaving out. Were they really re- rewriting history? And I saw a screen cap of one that talked about the didn't even talk about the Trail of Tears, but it pretty much tried to say that uh, indigenous folks had voluntarily gave up their land, which is obscene and incorrect and wrong and so disgusting. And so there's been some information going around. There was one person who had survived the Trail of Tears talking about his experience and how so many people died along that route and just that experience. And for folks to not recognize the fascistic element of American history is one really if they're not they're not teaching it in schools they're not talking about it and it just makes people i think go along with what's happening now that idea that somehow folks who are being oppressed and are being harmed somehow deserve it or are okay with it and that mentality is extremely destructive and harmful and we need to teach history actual history about what happened um and of course the thing is that we get for folks who are killed it's only the survivors who get to who can share the the truth of what happened and there are so many instances in this in the US where folks have been that, that's what's happened to people and it doesn't make it into history books it doesn't necessarily make it into even a lot of like oral storytelling and so it's really crucial to listen to folks who have experienced these things and to recognize what's happened and what continues to be a pattern here and now we're seeing certainly arise in the fascistic behavior of the government. And also we need to recognize that the government throughout history has behaved that way. So in a lot of ways, perhaps it does seem like it's on overdrive and at the same time, it's nothing new. But I have a positive story 
surprise. Uh, okay, this comes from the this comes from the LA Times, and it was written by Louis uh, Sahagin, and this came out on March first, East LA, nineteen sixty eight. So going back in time for this walkout, the day high school students helped ignite the Chicano power movement. So. Teachers at Garfield High School were winding down classes for the approaching lunch break when they heard the startling sound of people. They were not sure who, running through halls, pounding on classroom doors. Walk out, they were shouting, walk out. They looked down in disbelief as hundreds of students streamed out of classrooms and assembled before the school entrance, their clenched fists held high. Viva la revolucion, they called out. Education, not eradication. Soon, sheriff's deputies were rumbling in. Why, why is it always law enforcement that tends to ruin everything? That's my own persp- my own input there. Ugh. It was just part it was just past noon on a sunny Tuesday, March 5th, 1968, the day a Mexican-American revolution began. Soon came walkouts at two more East Side high schools, Roosevelt and Lincoln, in protest of rundown campuses, lack of college prep courses, and teachers who were poorly trained, indifferent or racist. By the time the blowouts peaked about a week later, 22,000 students had stormed out of class, delivered impassioned speeches, and clashed with police. Scenes of rebellion filled newspapers and television screens. School trustees held emergency meetings to try to quell the crisis. Mayor Sam Yorty suggested students had fallen under the influence of quote-unquote communist agitators. <laughs> We need more communist agitators. In the midst of the disruptions, Julian Nava, the only Mexican-American on the Los Angeles Board of Education, turned to superintendent of schools, Jack Crowther. Jack, he said, this is B.C. and A.D. The schools will not be the same hereafter. Yes, said Crowther, I know. The East L.A. walkouts 50 years ago were the uniquely California embodiment of the fury and hope that marked much of 1968. The first act of mass militancy by Mexican-Americans in modern California history set the tone for activism across the Southwest as America drifted into a year of social turmoil, assassinations, war, and disillusionment. The walkouts focused national attention on the new force of the American political scene, the Chicano movement. Once a pejorative term, Chicano was adopted by a new generation of urbanized Mexican-Americans as an emblem of ethnic pride, cultural awareness, and a commitment to community. We caught the entire nation by surprise, said David Sanchez, founder of the militant Brown Berets, which had its seeds in the movement for educational reform and then took on farm worker rights, police brutality, and the issue that managed to mobilize just about everyone who was protesting in 1968, the Vietnam War. Before the walkouts, no one cared that substandard schools made it all but impossible for Chicano youths to find strength and pride in their culture, language, and history, or to make the most of their lives, Sanchez said. After the walkouts, he added, no one could deny that we were ready to go to prison if necessary for what we believed, which was this, with better education, the Chicano community could control its own destiny. Pete Martinez, a former teacher at Lincoln, said students that year ignited a movement that would transform generations of Latinos in America. In 1968, the kids kicked the doors open, he said. In 1968, Mexican-American students living east of downtown were funneled into high schools with some of the worst dropout rates in the nation, 57% at Garfield, 45% at Roosevelt, and 39% at Lincoln. I'm also just going to comment that these schools were named after these presidents, and ugh, okay. 
All right. Eastside schools were run down and overcrowded, and the community had little political power. The Mexican-American community was young. About half the population was under 20, and there were no Mexican-Americans on the city council or board of supervisors. At Eastside schools, Spanish speakers felt trapped in slower tracks that funneled them toward low-skilled jobs. Henry, Harry G- Gamboa, now a celebrated photographer and performance artist, remembered the day in elementary school when the teacher led him to the front of the class and helped him fashion a hat made of construction paper as an art project. She put it on my head and wrote the word Spanish on it. She said I could take it off when I learned to speak English, he said. <sighs> Years later, he would join the walkouts at Garfield. Although the walkout seemed spontaneous, they grew out of years of social activism. Since 1963, Camp Hess Kramer, a Jewish summer camp in Malibu, had hosted motivational programs for outstanding East L.A. students who shared grievances about their underperforming high schools and neglected neighborhoods. Others stopped in at the Social Action Training Center, an effort run out of the Church of the Epiphany in Lincoln Heights by John Lucy, an Episcopal priest who supported labor leader Cesar Chavez. Four young activists opened the La La Periana coffee shop in 1967 at the corner of Olympic and Goodrich Boulevards as headquarters for their organization, Chicano Youth for Community Action. They were led by Sanchez, then a clean-cut 18, who was president of Yordi's Youth Advisory Commission, and Vicky Castro, a Cal State Los Angeles student who years later would become the second Latino ever elected to the Los Angeles Board of Education. We were all products of Camp Kramer and the Church of the Epiphany and therefore aspired to remake society, Castro recalled. At La Piranha, we organized strategies for doing just that and shared outrage over things like a Time Magazine article that described East LA as reeking of garbage and wine. La Piranha's walls were covered with murals depicting scenes from Mexico's past and a startling declaration in large black letters, Por mi raza mato, or For my race I kill. Revolution was in the air. Black militant Stokely Carmichael swung by La Piranha. So did two figures known for their edgy and angry brand of activism, Rodolfo Corky Gonzalez of Colorado and Reyes Tiarina of New Mexico. One day in 1967, hours before a protest against police harassment, Sanchez ran ran by the garment district to buy a dozen berets, the headgear seen on countless posters of Latin American revolutionary Che Guevara. Back at La Piranha, he dealt them out like playing cards, saying, put these on, we're going to a demonstration. The Chicano youth, youth for community action had become the brown berets. The group operated under a manual written by Sanchez that included a passage members were required to memorize. For over 20 years, the Mexican-American has suffered at the hands of the Anglo establishment. He is discriminated against in schooling, housing, and unemployment, or in employment, in in employment, and in every other phase of life. Because of this situation, the Mexican-American has become the lowest achiever of any minority group in the entire Southwest. What people were only beginning to realize was that much of much as the students at a Florida high school this year have seized the debate over gun control from the adults, it was the high school students of East L.A. who would refuse to wait for adults to act. Sal Castro, then a social studies teacher at Lincoln and a charismatic guest speaker at La Piranha, said his students wanted things changed at the school. They wanted to hold what they called a blowout, a walkout. His response? Organize. What do you need? The original plan was to present a series of demands and the threat of a walkout to the school board in 1967. The plot fizzled.
But the next year, on Friday, March 1st, the principal at Wilson High in El Sereno abruptly canceled the school play Barefoot in the Park, a romantic comedy deemed risque. Hundreds of students walked off campus in anger. The organizers of the failed walkout plot saw their chance. Sal Castro, Brown Berets, college students, and others, including students recruited from high schools, holed up at La Piranha and other hangouts over the weekend to prepare. By Tuesday, March 5th, they were ready to launch. Joseph Rodriguez, then a sophomore at Garfield High, recalled sitting in basic biology class when someone banged on our wooden door yelling, walk out, walk out. We heard commotion outside. Many of us, including the teacher, ran to the window to see what was going on. My teacher looked me in the eyes, Rodriguez recalled, and I and said, I can see you're really interested in this stuff. You're free to go. Rodriguez saw students hemorrhaging through the gates and onto surrounding sidewalks and streets. Sheriff's deputies in riot gear arrived and over bullhorns ordered them back to class. Most refused. A Coca-Cola delivery truck happened to drive up and students began grabbing bottles and hurling them at deputies. Whoa! Wading into the fray were the Brown Berets who had planned to offer students protection. Sanchez later boasted that he outran two deputies chasing after me with batons waving. The next day, it was Vicky Castro's mission to occupy the Lincoln principal while cohorts fanned out across campus and encouraged students to leave school. She pretended to be an applicant for a teacher's position and peppered the principal with questions. I held the principal hostage for 20 minutes while one worried staffer after another rushed into his office to whisper the worsening news in his ear, she recalled with a chuckle. Finally, he said, sorry, but I really have to go. Then I drove to Roosevelt High, Roosevelt High for more action. When Vicky Castro pulled up at her alma mater, the administrator recognized her. Vicky, if you come on campus, I'll have you arrested, she said. Turn around now. She drove off for the other side of the campus and joined other activists inciting students to walk. A brief clash with police resulted in several arrests. Students walked out at Belmont the next day. Protest plans there had spread not just by word of mouth, but by messages written in marker on the grout between tiles. Walkout today, 1230. And the article also includes photos. There's a photo of police handcuffing two women. And there's a photo of John Ortiz, who is speaking to students. And there's a photo of sheriff's deputies lining up near Garfield High School. In years to come, the East Side would be the site of protests decrying the Vietnam War and immigration policy, but these early walkouts were about education. Students carried American flags and signs reading, we demand schools that teach, schools not prison, which goes back to our conversation earlier. <sighs> and quote-unquote, we are not quote-unquote dirty Mexicans. During one day of protests, a heavy rain broke out. At Lincoln, a few of the demonstrators who braved the downpour noticed that the water streaming down Sal Castro's face was mixed with tears of pride. The unrest continued for about a week, with protests erupting at a few other campuses, even two junior highs. Not originally included in the walkout plans, at a rock, not, not originally included in the walkout plans. At a raucous school board meeting 10 days into the protest, students presented 36 demands. Some seemed excessive, only pass-fail grades, student lounges with jukeboxes, Mexican dishes in the cafeteria prepared by local mothers. Others were very basic. Smaller classes, new libraries, more bilingual counselors, teachers and principals. Improved testing to distinguish between lack of English proficiency and lack of intelligence. More lessons on Mexican-American culture, art, and history. And no corporal punishment. There's another great photo here from Wilson High of student Peter Rodriguez. The school board agreed outright to two of the demands, more bilingual personnel and smaller classes. 
Generally, however, the district said it was already doing what it what the students asked or wanted to comply, but lacked funds. In the walkout's aftermath, the organizers basked in support from high-profile leaders, including Democratic presidential candidate Robert F. Kennedy, who made time to congratulate some students on the tarmac at Santa, Santa Monica Airport while in California to meet Cesar Chavez. Some educators supported the students, but quietly. We were secretly guided behind the scenes by sympathetic teachers and administrators who, who used us in their way as their own vehicles for change, Vicky Castro recalled. They even helped me write speeches I gave after the blowouts during meetings with school officials. But the walkouts also unleashed ugly emotions. As an example of the attitudes Mexican-American students faced, community leaders cited an essay Richard C. Davis, a woodshop instructor at Lincoln, published that spring in the school's faculty publication, declaring that, quote-unquote, most of the Mexican-Americans have never had it so good, he wrote. Before the Spanish came, he was an Indian... Ugh, I'm not even going to read what this fucking asshole wrote. It's gross and offensive. And you can you can look at the article if you want to read the full quote. It's pretty disgusting. Law enforcement responded with um, okay. Law enforcement responded with undercover operations, raids, and arrests. In June, authorities rounded up 13 activists who were indicted by a grand jury on charges including conspiracy and having planned the walkouts. Each faced 66 years in prison. Among those indicted were Sanchez and Sal Castro, who was the only teacher to publicly participate in back students' complaints to news media and school district officials. He lost his job, but was eventually reinstated after months of protests by Eastside parents. Castro had employment, but was bounced around to different campuses and made a substitute before finally landing at Belmont as a teacher. The indictments against the Eastside 13 were struck down by an appeals court in 1970. A year after the walkouts, UCLA's enrollment of Mexican-Americans soared from 100 to 1,900. Over the decades, college enrollment increased from 2% to 25% nationwide. Chicano studies programs were founded at colleges and universities across the nation. More Mexican-Americans also entered the ranks of vice principals and principals in the Los Angeles Unified School District. But perhaps the walkout's greatest accomplishment was fostering in the Mexican-American community a sense of possibility, the realization that just cause sometimes requires speaking up. Until that day, it never crossed my mind that Garfield High was run down, overcrowded, and lagging behind public schools in wealthier white neighborhoods, said Rodriguez, who later became a prize-winning columnist at the San Jose Mercury News. All that changed after the blowouts. Mexican-American parents who had never attended a school board meeting watched their children addressing the board. Rodriguez recalled that his father was initially appalled by the protests, then decided the students were right. Vicky Castro recounted a dinner table con confrontation with her own father. My dad stared down at me, she said, and announced, Mija, I never thought you'd grow up to be a communist. I'm no communist, Dad, she responded. There's something terribly wrong with our schools. Our future is at stake. She went on to become a teacher, principal, and a Los Angeles school board member, but her role in the walkouts caused a rift in her family. One cousin, a sheriff's deputy, refused to speak to her for years. As a middle school principal in East L.A. many years later, her radical past collided head-on with the establishment world of education when three students walked out of class because they couldn't access their grades during a teacher's work stoppage. She suspended them. I never thought I'd be on the other side of, walk of a walkout situation, she said with a laugh, but that situation wasn't at all the same. Later, she was approached by a group of Eastside High School students, many of them flanked by their parents, who were fed up because the campus cafeteria was serving too many burritos and not enough variety. I had to turn around and stifle a chuckle, she said. Once upon a time, 
I fought hard for the, those burritos. This year, LAUSD is remembering the walkouts with seminars, instructional, instructional materials, and an arts festival. The, La, La, the Plaza de Cultura y Artes in downtown will host a major exhibition of the walkout's legacy. Many screenings are planned of Walkout, the movie about those fiery days produced by Moctezuma Esparza, who was one of the East Side 13. The dropout rates at Eastside High Schools have improved dramatically since 1968. Garfield, 13%, Roosevelt, 28%, and Lincoln, 21%. But they remain far higher than those at affluent West Side campuses, such as Malibu High, where it hovers at about 5%. We've come a long way, Vicky Castro said, but there's still a lot of work to do. Some of that work is being carried out at a campus just west of downtown. It used to be a Belmont, high, it used to be a Belmont Middle School. In 2010, it got a new name. Salvador B. Castro Middle School. So folks can check out this article at the LA Times, and we've also shared it on the Weekly Review webpage that folks can access at facebook.com forward slash weekly rev. That's about it for today. Coming up next at 2 p.m. is Women's Magazine with Global Val, followed by the Common Thread Collective at 3 p.m. with Diamond Dave and Global Val and many other folks participating. And as I mentioned earlier, this is we are in the middle of the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival. There are shows tonight through March 5th for the full schedule and lineup. Check out mutinyradio.fm. This has been the Weekly Review. I'm Roman. If you'd like to help support the show, you can donate to our Patreon, and that's at patreon.com forward slash weekly rev. Thanks again so much for listening, and we'll be back next week. Have a great week, everyone. Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship 
as we set sail for the seas of Mutiny Radio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> Hey everybody, listen to the Weekly Review with Roman every Friday from noon to 2pm. This is an unapologetically anti-capitalist program. We interview community organizers, activists, and artists. We talk about ways you can take action right now. So listen in to the Weekly Review every Friday from noon to 2pm. brings you visual and auditory mind control. For the best graphic design, physical merchandise, and live music promotion, go to www.subliminalsf.com and check out their hilarious t-shirts and super cool bands at clubs and bars all over the Bay Area. Subliminal SF creates amazing flyers, posters, and design for every need. So go now to www.subliminalsf.com and experience what this wonderful local business has to offer. Good evening there, my friends, here at MutinyRadio.Evan. Chester Cashcock here, and giving you my love and regard as well as movies over there. And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that any time I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. I mean, if anyone who knows anything about comedy knows that Pamtastic's books the best of San Francisco and Beyond's underground comics. It's a great showcase, and they have a fun time at Pamtastic's Deep in the Mission District, where you can laugh off your tushy for a mere five dollars every Friday to 10 p.m. And I laugh because five dollars, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with. So to laugh it off for a mere five dollars is indubitious. But if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, well, don't even worry. Don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show and giggle in the comfort of anywhere. Like your Aspen summer home on the mountain ridge with the kayak feeling. So then all you got to do is just go to podcastics.pcrcollective.org slash comedy clubhouse. Or you can listen live every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. as your host Pam Benjamin brings you the best comedy from San Francisco and beyond the universe. And what's better than the universe? It's a cash cock, honey. (laughs) Well, hello, boys and girls. You know what a password is. That's a secret word that soldiers would use to get past the sentry and up to the front. Well, here's a password that gets you up to the front in all the right places. It's cannabis energy. 
It seems the faster you go, the more cannabis energy you need. So if you want to win, you have to have lots of cannabis energy. And the swellest way I know to get it is just by using Green Army Skincare. Boy, they're just crammed full of cannabis energy. There are more cannabis energy units in one lip balm tube than you use circling the base 10 times or when you ride your bike 4 miles across.